You are listening to the Blooming Inspired Podcast Network. We exist to empower the voices of women who live their lives blooming alive through podcast community. Now, here is your host. Blooming Inspired Podcast, equipping and empowering the voices of women who live their lives blooming alive. Good morning. This is Michelle Bentham, host of Blooming Inspired Podcast, and I am so excited to be back on with you today. I'm bringing you the rest of my two-part message on overcoming Jezebel. This passage of scripture in Mark chapter 7 about the Syrophoenician woman who came to Jesus and asked him to heal her daughter and how Jesus kind of responded to her in a way that seemed very terse and inconsistent with his character, if you will, made the case for demonstrating that Jesus wasn't in fact responding to her request for her daughter, but he was in fact testing her heart to see what her motive was. Now, knowing that Jesus was fully God and fully man, he had perfect knowledge. That means that he knew what was in her heart before she told him. But he was going to test her to see if she was going to try to manipulate him. Now, I want to go back and look at something real quick um, about what precedes this to continue to make my case that this is about a testing of her heart. Remember, Jesus said, it's out of the heart our mouths speak. That the And Jeremiah wrote that the heart is wicked above all things, right? that it it can be a trap for us and we're to guard our hearts. So check this out. Verses 1 through 13 is Jesus addressing followers of tradition. That's what the little subheading at the top of Matthew chapter 7 is. And it says, Now the Pharisees and some of the scribes came from Jerusalem and gathered around him, and they had seen that some of his disciples ate their bread with ceremonial ammonially impure hands, that is, unwashed and defiled according to Jewish religious ritual. For the Pharisees and all of the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, holding firmly to the traditions of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves completely according to ritual. And there are many other things Oral man-made laws and traditions handed down to them, which they follow diligently, such as the washing of cups and pictures and copper utensils. So the Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus, Why do your disciples not live their lives according to the tradition of the elders, but instead eat their bread with ceremonially unwashed hands? Rightly did Isaiah prophesy about you hypocrites. You play actors and pretenders, Jesus says. As it is written in Scripture, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain. Their worship is meaningless and worthless, a pretense. Teaching the precepts of men as doctrines, giving their traditions equal weight with the Scriptures. Now, I'm not going to go long into this. Um, But they disregard and neglect the commandment of God and cling faithfully to the tradition of men. This is the heart of the religious spirit. And then in verse 14, the subheading there is the heart of man. After he called the people to him again, he said, Listen to me, all of you, and understand there is nothing outside of a man such as food, which by going into him can defile him morally or spiritually. But the things which come out of the heart of a man are what defile and dishonor him. If anyone has ears to hear, 
let him hear. So do you catch this? Jesus is addressing hard issues in this chapter, and Mark includes this story about the Syrophoenician woman. So let's jump right back in where we left off yesterday, and that is that we have read through the entire account in Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 24, about the Syrophoenician woman. We've reviewed the history that connects her to what happened with Jezebel back in the book of Kings. And we have tied together why she would have understood him calling her a little, a little dog was not a put down, but rather a test of the motive of her heart. So let's jump right back in as we discover some more about these keys of faith and humility that help us to overcome the Jezebel spirit. In this, in the world today, we have this term called bibliolatry, where people worship the Bible the way they worship God. Well, the Bible is the primary way we know God, but it's not God himself. When it says the word of God is living and active, that the word of God is God himself, that the word was God, it's not talking about a book that we can read. It's talking about a person, Jesus Christ. And if we worship this book apart from worshiping who Jesus is, who this book reveals God to be, and we take actions and we set rules that are in disagreement with the character and nature of God, then we've entered into a form of idolatry. We've set God up to be a God of our own liking than the God that is revealed to us through the sum total of scripture. So there's this real religious component to the influence of Jezebel. There's also this component, you see it in her relationship with King Ahab. She gets close to leaders and the prophets and tries to influence them for her own agenda. And this is exactly what the Jezebel influence does. And Revelations calls Jezebel a harlot because she leads the people of God to worship false gods and leads them away from the worship of God. And the Jezebel's sole goal is to destroy God's purpose for nations and ministries or churches, organizations, and specifically church leaders. And a Jezebel cannot operate without an Ahab. So both Ahab and Jezebel, the person that's influenced by a Jezebel spirit, a Jezebel principality, has to have an Ahab spirit operating in the leader in order to be successful. And in order to destroy the operation of Jezebel, and the way I've seen this Um, spirit principality operate the strongest as when it infiltrates churches and attacks marriages, especially marriages of people leading ministry and to break the power of Jezebel and her influence in your, in your life and your community, you have to repent. You have to give up control because she's a real controlling and manipulating spirit. She's seductive. Not seductive like Delilah was with Samson, but seductive like Jezebel was. It's an overt seduction. It's an intellectual seduction. It's not a 
it's, it's, it's not a sensual thing or an emotional thing. It's a very practical thing and it's seducing. And the picture of a Jezebel spirit is like a huge octopus and it takes its tentacles and it weaves them all in and out of the structure of the organization or the, 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 the ministry or the church that it's trying to influence until it actually has complete control over it and then it crushes it and destroys it. And so in order to break that influence in our regions and in Texas, we deal with this principality a lot, the principality of Jezebel. It's, it also um, has, this, has this underlying theme of this matriarchal spirit that's a very prevalent spirit here in the South. And it's a picture of what you see in that movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, where the woman is telling uh, her daughter something and she's like, dad will never agree to that. And she says, oh, honey, the man, he is the head, but the woman, she is the neck and she can turn him any way she wants to. That's really what Jezebel does. She tries to come up and support and influence a leader in such a way that she can turn him any way she wants to until she destroys him. And they oppose true prophetic ministry and the true office of prophet. And so one of the things you have to get out of is, is uh, critical thought processes and legalism directed toward the leadership in your community. Two, pray for the leaders humbly, for their eyes to be opened and their ears to be opened and their hearts to be open to the knowledge and the influence of the Spirit of God because the anointing of God breaks the yoke of bondage. And Jezebel likes nothing more than to lock people up in bondage. And faith faith in the truth of who God is, faith in the reality of who he is, faith in the power of who he is. And I think that's something that we've long been missing in our church houses in, the, in recent decades and even maybe the last century is we've had these pockets of powerful ministry and revival and breakthrough in the church community and, the, and, and more so in the charismatic than the evangelical settings. But it's even started to break out in some of the evangelical settings. And what do we do when people start to deviate from what has long been held our tradition? We get on our soapbox and we get on our platform and we get on our Facebook and we get on our Twitter account and we get on our blogs and we get on our videos and we get on our podcasts and we start naming names and tearing people down. And I'm going to tell you, that is the principality of Jezebel trying to destroy God's bride and God's purpose for his bride. I'm praying diligently for God to break that stronghold of criticism. Now, yes, we need to deal rightly with false teaching and error, but the way you deal with error is to preach truth, not to preach against. And if you need to warn your flock, that's a private matter. That's not something you do on a public airway. And if you haven't practiced Matthew 18 to the letter and confronting a leader who is clearly erroneous, as Paul did with Peter when he confronted him to his face, no business mentioning people by name in public from a platform 
and I'm not naming names, but if this is resonating with you, if you've been partnering with that and agreeing with that, repent. Repent. Come back to humility. Stop assuming that you and your theology and your seminary and your doctrine is the only one that's out there. That the traditions of the church are the only valid response to scripture. That the thing about the early church that was different than the church today is they lived in community, house to house, person to person. They didn't have a big house meeting every week that everybody went to and, bit, and put on their best clothes and was all religious and traditional. No. And men were open to being corrected by women, lest Paul lied when he said that Priscilla corrected Apollo's erroneous teaching of the gospel. I know I'm going to meddling, but I'm an advocate for women. And not an advocate for women to usurp the authority of men but I'm an advocate for women to live fully to their potential, to the calling and the purpose and the leadership of God in their life. And whatever their husband assents to in their life, I believe they should be able to pursue to the full extent of who they are and who God created them to be. And I'm not going to shy away from it. And that does not make me a Jezebel spirit or a person influenced by Jezebel. That makes me sensitive to what I read from God in scripture and I believe to take three scriptures about women that defies all the ways that Jesus himself dealt with women when he walked the earth and how the Old Testament addresses women in leadership and to completely change the game without considering the context of why Paul wrote those three scriptures is as dangerous as the people who are professing that the complementarian way is the only way to go. So if you want to know, I'm egalitarian. I'm not complimentary at all. I believe, and, and I hate labels. Just going to say it. I hate labels because I believe labels are damaging to people. I hate that we have taken giftings administered by Christ, often giftings that were administered by Christ for the equipping of people, saints, for ministry. And we've turned them into paid positions at church. You see, the true pastors of the early church were the deacons and the deaconesses. They were deacons and deaconesses. They were leaders. They were servants. They were ministry leaders who were in charge with the nurture and the care and the protection of the sheep pastors, which comes from the root word pasture, the shepherds. But we've made pastor an ordaining term, a legal term that has nothing to do with gifting or calling and has everything to do with a vocational position in ministry and an education degree that goes with it. Now, I'm not saying that not every person called by the title pastor in a church is not a pastor. I'm saying that we don't recognize the pastor's because they carry the gift of pastor. We call them pastor because somebody installed them into a position in a church that bears the title pastor. But I don't believe that installation is biblical. We've come to value three of the five gifts and dismiss two. Apostle and prophet have all but been dismissed by the evangelical church. And we only value the pastor, the evangelist, and the teacher. And we don't even install people according to the giftings that they carry. We install them we call the, the 
the evangelist pastor and we call the teacher pastor and we call pastors pastor and we call the prophets pastor and we call the apostles pastor. And I'm not saying learned people and scholarly people should not be honored and listened to that they don't care. But I'm saying that head knowledge without a heart experience is just legalism. And we need to break with that kind of traditional mindset. And we need to read the word of God. I can tell you because I had a lot of knowledge and I remember the moment when somebody prayed that I would know less and experience more because I was very legalistic in my thinking and it bound me up. And I'm not about usurping authority and I'm not about opposing the work of the church. I don't believe you should sit under somebody in authority if you cannot agree and partner with them in completing their vision. And I want to tell you that every church I've been a part of, I've served not only as a lay leader in those environments, but I've served in those environments on staff as a paid employee of the church, coming up under supporting and helping to implement vision. And today I have this ministry, Blooming Inspired Network. So I want to encourage you, break with the legalism and the tradition that's godless in nature, that doesn't agree with the whole testimony of Scripture and the whole counsel of God's Word. And don't don't just listen for people that tickle your ears and say things you agree with. If somebody's teaching something and it challenges you, go and be like the Bereans and search the matter out for yourself in scripture and study it for yourself. You know, I have some young people in my life and for a, a season when they were teenagers, um, when we would be with them, they would say, you know, we can't eat fish. We can only eat fish or cheese on Fridays. We can't eat any regular meat because we're observing Lent. And I would ask them, why are you observing Lent? Because I wanted to understand. And they said, I don't know. This is just what our parents told us we have to do. And we're doing it. And my counsel to them was, don't disobey your parents. But don't ever do something just because somebody told you to. Always know the reason why and be able to answer the why. And I now today know that people observe Lent because they take on the sufferings of Christ in their mind by sacrificing something they enjoy in order to prepare their hearts for the advent of Passover, Good Friday, and the Resurrection Sunday of Easter, and also honor what Christ did and to make that more real and true in their lives. But if you don't know that, it's just a religious thing. It's just a tradition that you honor. It doesn't have any meaning. And if we have knowledge of something without an experience of it, then it's just information. So I want to challenge you with that, and I want to pray for you. Father God, I just ask that you would work in the hearts of the people within the sound of my voice. We may not all be influenced by Jezebel's, but I know that moment when I was listening to someone teach on this subject about 10 years ago, and I realized that not only had I been influenced by somebody who was strongly influenced by Jezebel's spirit, but I watched the havoc that was wrecked in the community, the church that I was in, as marriage after marriage after marriage fell. And I felt like the Lord had told me in prayer that there was a Jezebel spirit in that church attacking marriages. And it was seeking to destroy the church by attacking marriages. And I want to tell you that I've gotten that warning another time 
twice more. I didn't know that's what it was about, but it's absolutely what it was about. It was a Jezebel influence and it came out and it took out strategic key leaders who were influencing discipleship and influencing freedom in their community. And it did it over and over. Primarily people who were responsible for the marriage ministries of the church were affected. And some of those marriages ended in divorce and some of them ended in reconciliation came out of that season stronger and better for it. My own marriage went through a season where a woman in ministry got developed an emotional connection with my husband. It was a long distance relationship and it sought to destroy my marriage and destroy my life and destroy my husband's life and destroy our family. But, but can I tell you that the enemy didn't win in that? And as long as I live and as long as I have breath, I'm going to help people to overcome these obstacles and these spiritual influences. We don't need to be afraid of the enemy, but we do know, need to know how he operates. And he is our adversary. He hates us. There's nothing about this that's good for us. So when we partner with the enemy's plans and his strategies and his work, we lose even if it's only for a season. So let's break those partnerships. Let's move away from those things. The thing that Jesus had against the Pharisees, the people that he rebuked strongly were the religious people who came to him, not with a pure motive, not out of faith in God, not in belief toward him, but people who wanted to manipulate, control him and use them for their own purposes. And he tested the heart of every one of them and he rebuked strongly those who were overt in their practice. And he always knew the heart of the man that he was speaking to, the heart of the woman that he was speaking to. And he tested every heart that he addressed. So Lord, test our hearts. Test our hearts and reveal to us any wicked way that is in us. And bring us to true humility and repentance over these things. And Lord, would you heal your church from its preference towards religious tradition over true religion, which is the care and love and support of widows and orphans and the equipping of the saints according to God's gift in their life for ministry and the spreading of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Would you take away the business mindset and the branding mindset that exists in the church today? And would you open the doors for us to know you both in spirit and in truth so that we may worship you from a pure heart, that we may pursue you with pure motives and that we may see you answer our prayers. And because your will is to feed your children bread and to take care of their needs and to heal them, and to prosper them and to grow them so that they look more like you, they love more like you, they live more like you every day of their lives until they stand before you and know you completely as we are known by you now. Lord, that is the desire of our hearts, to know you as we are known, not just in our heads where we process information, but in our hearts where we experience who you are. Teach us to love you better and to know you more. In Jesus' name, amen.
Well, that's all the time that we have for today. And I want to thank you for tuning in with us. Um, this podcast wouldn't be anything without you, our listeners, and I'm so grateful. I'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to leave a comment on this post, I would love that. If you would like to reach out to us by email, you can reach me at michelle.bentham, M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E dot Bentham, B as in boy, E-N as in Nancy, T as in Tom, H-A-M as in Mary, at bloominginspirednetwork.com. Love to to hear from you. Love to hear what God's doing in your life. If there's some way I can serve you, if there's a topic that you would like to hear more about, if there's a way that I could pray for you, please reach out. If you're a newly saved believer, reach out to me. I'd love to send you some resources to, and, and some information to help you get started on your journey of discipleship. Uh, I am an executive coach and I am on the John Maxwell team. And so I love to help people reach their unlimited potential in life. So if that's something that you would be interested in learning more about, reach out to me. I offer a free consultation and would be happy to share some information with you and, and, and to see what a partnership and coaching might look like and how it can benefit you. And uh, we have two additional podcasts on our network at this time. I'm in currently in talks and we might be adding a fourth show to our network very soon. And I'm very excited about that. So if you could be in prayer about that, but um, we currently have three shows on our network and the first, the other two shows that we are airing each week, this show airs on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I try to get the show out by 11 AM central time, but um, it, it usually go, try to go out before then. Uh, but that's our, our, our hard deadline is 11 a.m. Central Time. And it airs on Tuesdays and Thursdays each week. And we also have the Redeemed Rebel podcast. Michelle Terman is a gold digger. She's a redeemed rebel and she's a hope dealer. And she loves to leave a little sparkle in every life she touches. She's a real freedom fighter and an advocate for women walking through any kind of difficult circumstance in their life where they feel like they're trapped in bondage. She has a particular heart for women who have walked through addiction and are struggling with addiction. And um, she just shares these beautiful spoken word prophetic poems in her show. And, and she just has a heart to minister to women and to help them see them walking in their full potential, seeing them shining like the lights that God created them to be. And so listen to her. She's on Mondays. Our deadline for broadcasting her podcast is 4 p.m. Central Time. And then we have Accidental Hope, which airs on Wednesdays. And our hard deadline for that is 2 p.m. Central Time. And so uh, our host there is Jennifer Eichenhorst. And Jennifer has been through the hard fire of life. She has walked through tragedy and loss in such a significant way where everything in her life was written. They almost lost everything, even their hope. But God kept putting people in, in her life and answering her prayers. And he brought her to this beautiful broad place of breakthrough and she's still walking out her healing journey but she has such hope she's an ambassador of hope that that built a podcast around the idea of seeking hope and building community for those who have suffered accidental death or trauma and so she's airing her podcast every 
week at 2 p.m. on Wednesday. So be sure to check that out. And with that said, I, I, I'm just completely out of time today, but I want to remind you, as I always do, blooming where you're planted is the first step to living your wildest dreams. So live your lives blooming alive. Thank you for listening to the Blooming Inspired Podcast on the Blooming Inspired Podcast Network. This show airs Tuesdays and Thursdays, 11 a.m. Central Time. Please take a moment to like, share, and subscribe to this podcast. You can also learn more about this podcast, its network, or the ministries of Blooming Inspired Network by visiting bloominginspirednetwork.com and clicking the podcast link at the top of the page.